Hey everyone, we've got a new pitch website, pitchpodcast.fm. Comment on your favorite episodes, get all the latest news and discuss the podcast with us, pitchpodcast.fm. If you become a subscriber, you'll be able to access real pitches and ad-free episodes. Watch member-only live streams starring us, your hosts, and ask questions we'll answer in future pitch episodes. Join us at pitchpodcast.fm and help us bring you more great content. You can find and subscribe to the premium episodes of this podcast at pitch.supportingcast.fm. This week's premium episode features Kayla McVicker, Parker Forrest Olson, and David Zepeda with their pilot, Peaches and Daisies, Tori Dupre with his feature, Loving Death, and Brianne Bushes with the pilot for an animated series entitled Zuli's World. Make sure to check that out. Hi, welcome to another episode of Pitch, connecting storytellers with the world. I'm Leah St. Marie. And I'm Angel. And we have two special guests with us today from Vanishing Angle. We have Matt Miller and Natalie Metzger. And your films have been at Cannes and South by and Sundance. And you've done Thunder Road. You're big in the indie world. You just did the film that I wrote, Spoonful of Sugar. You did Stargate Atlantis. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah it's our pleasure. What's new with you two? Something very, very important is brewing. <laughs> We're developing something quite big. quite big. Yeah. Have you pitched it to anyone yet? Hopefully not. Hopefully not too big. But uh, yes, we're we're having a baby next month. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> so that's uh, a big thing. But in addition to that, we, you know, have a bunch of projects that just released. We have two features that just released earlier this month, Spoonful of Sugar in the Park. Woo-hoo! And uh, we have a feature releasing in May called It Ain't Over, a documentary about Yogi Berra. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Pictures Classics. And then we have two shorts that we just wrapped that are going to be hopefully, well, one of them will be, we know the festival premiere will be later this year. And the other one we just finished and are starting to get that out into the world. And so, and then we're shooting two features at the end of the year. So <laughs> at least two. Yeah, so not busy yeah. <laughs> as wow. well as a baby. <laughs> we just like to juggle a lot. Like Unreal. Busy, yeah. That's amazing. Can I ask real quick? So you've got several features and then the documentary, obviously this year, and you're still doing shorts. Mm-hmm. So shorts aren't a stepping stone to doing features for you. Now that you're well-established in the feature world, what motivates you to continue to do shorts? We, we've always made it a priority. Um, when we started the company in 2010, um, we hadn't started doing features yet. Our first f- feature on record of the company was like 2013. But right away, we started doing shorts. We've always felt like um, for us, it's there's countless reasons. So first and foremost, it's like really good to just continue to have product in the marketplace, um, specifically in festivals. So like even when we don't have a feature... Um, timing for a certain festival run, we generally have a short film available and it allows us to sort of continue to have product available that we can keep in touch with programmers, that we can um, attend festivals and meet other filmmakers. So that was like sort of like the impetus of why we felt important to do shorts. Um, And then as we developed our strategy of curating filmmakers, what we we sort of grew to this idea was... um, in terms of, we're very big on long-term relationships, like starting a relationship with a filmmaker and working with them over time. And um, one of the things we realized was in getting directors to do their first feature, having worked on so many like economical productions, that it's 
not a one size fits all scenario that you can't just say like, here's a budget, let's just squeeze a director into that, that directors in order to succeed have different strengths, weaknesses and priorities. And so like some directors might need a long post-production period. Some directors might need two cameras on set. Some directors, um, Really want to prioritize production design or like on the film. visuals. Yeah. And so we try to tailor each of our budgets and schedules and overall process to the filmmaker themselves. And doing a short with them allows us to be able to figure out what those priorities are, to figure out how they work, what, you know, what they need, because they might not even realize like what their like biggest priority is, you sure. know, where, where we work with them and are like, oh, this is what this person needs to mm-hmm. like really be effective. And so that helps us um, be able to then work with them in a really great way later on for the features. And ideally, it's like the first feature is probably a little bit smaller, but then building up to bigger budget projects and eventually studio projects. Yeah, and, and to sort of relate it to the idea of, of pitching, because um, we as a company also, like we accept pitches from people, but we also have to pitch companies. Like we develop projects and bring them out there. And I think we can't compete with other companies on a financial level. Like we can't go out and purchase IP to develop or, um, you know, bid against the hot spec script. Like our greatest asset is our relationships to writers, directors, filmmakers. And that's really the only way we can uh, have any value in the marketplace is curating those relationships. Mm. And so by starting them early on short films, it allows us to build those relationships and keep them over time. So very often, one of two things will happen. We will work with a filmmaker to develop a project that's right for them for a studio, having done a short film with them, having done their first feature, and then saying, okay, we can level this up to a studio level project, and we go out and pitch them. Or what's happened on other times is a director will sort of like be able to, with their uh, own connections or the representatives pitch a film to a studio and then the studio is like, great, who do you want to be the producers on this? And they'll point back to us and we can get brought in that way. And so it's like, as much as it's, you know, partially altruistic of wanting to just make good content with good filmmakers, it's also for us just a really good business model. And it's also fun. There's like, there's something really, you know, features can take a long time to put together and can take a long time to get up and running. Sure. And so there's something just really fun about, hey, this is a short, we can knock this out, you know, over the course of a weekend or a week. And uh, and so there's something just really satisfying because we love being on set. We love making movies. And so sometimes in between the features, it's the thing that just like creatively satisfies us. But we've done 27 features now and like over 60 shorts, something like that. Wow. That's yeah. impressive. But also like problem solving, like creative problem solving, like working on multiple projects at once, which again, to go back to sort of the creative process of writing and pitching, like it's it's really important to have multiple projects you're working on creatively, especially as producers. I think it's much more challenging as like a director because um, I think they're so singularly focused on a singular vision that, and that's important. But I think writers and producers, I do think it's really helpful to be, um, you know, kind of jumping across between things because you get creatively stuck. And if you can go to another project and sort of free yourself up creatively on that project, it can actually help problem solve another one. And you can kind of bounce back and forth. And then also like it just, every one of those projects expands our networks of creatives of like, you know, actors we're working with that we can cast in other projects or like a cinematographer, or even just, you know, uh, a PA that, you know, we meet that we can bring onto something else. Like it, it just, each one sort of, adds exponential value to all the other projects. Where are you finding your short scripts and then your directors? Um, a lot of it is through 
through festivals. We actually um, meet a lot of filmmakers that we end up working with at festivals where we we either connect with them while at the festival or see their work and then kind of seek them out and say like, hey, we really love your style. Like, what do you have you know going on? And uh, just find something that we connect on. But it's also this kind of organic network of of people where. We work with some filmmakers and then they're like, oh, you guys would really like vibe with this person. So you guys should meet with this person. Then we meet with them and vibe and like become <laughs> really close friends. And then they're like, hey, we have this project. So it can it, it can be what this kind mean? of organic, amorphous thing. Or even that thing of people working on other projects like, mm -hmm. or other shorts. It's like Danny Madden, who we did the feature film Beast Beast with. Like when I first met Danny, he was an art director on a film, on a feature I produced called The Grief of Others, which is also the same feature I met Jim Cummings on because mm -hmm. he was another producer on the project and he had met the filmmaker at a film festival. And so like we meet these people, we work with them in these other creative capacities and we see their creative contributions to that project and we get a sense of like how they are to collaborate creatively. And yes, it's a different role when they move into the director's seat, but we get a sense that like we all communicate on the same level not that we look at things the same way, because I think it's important to approach creativity from different points of view, but that we have a common language for giving and receiving feedback that's going to be helpful in making a project together, I think is probably the most important thing. Yeah, I like to think of the two of you and Vanishing Angle kind of like the Indiana Jones of the indie world because you're out there and you're finding treasures in people. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> we have two Indiana Jones posters in our kitchen. So really? that, <laughs> yeah. that jives well. Well, and then there's even like our, our sort of third partner who's um, just recovering from a feature film, Ben Wiesner. Like oh, he yeah. even has a whole other skill set. Like he's much more in attendance of like, smaller film festivals than we are like our bandwidth is just sort of such that we can only attend probably like the larger ones but ben's doing all these like southern producers labs and like mm. he's you know he'll be going to south by right now because we're unable to go and so like he's often even like ben i think was really one of the first curators of like danny and jim and all those Absolutely. and he came into the same fold like danny i think i mean ben's really i think helped connect those dots in a big way and further their careers and then kind of brought them into the fold of Vanishing Angle. And that's why we've sort of made Ben that point person for that as well. And we also like each bring different things. So like Ben has a degree in poetry and I think he has like a, this very um, special sense of being able to figure out when like a script is special or when a filmmaker is special. There's this like kind of poeticness to how, to how he approaches it. And then my background is in dance. And so I'm like looking for yeah. like people that are super visual or something that feels like very visceral um and then matt's background is in film and like oftentimes like like his knowledge of celluloid or even just like his background as an ad and like scheduling it's it's like like we're all bringing all these different things to um to both like finding projects connecting with filmmakers um all of those things yeah. I remember uh, the day that I came to set for Spoonful of Sugar, you were ADing yeah. as well as everything else. <laughs> and yes. I forget who it was that they wanted to do something. And it like, I saw you change and morph into an AD and you're like, we're not doing that. That's not safe. <laughs> <laughs> but safety is one of the few things I put my dad voice on. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, I saw it change. It was so cool. Yeah. It sounds like you have such a um, a healthy and holistic approach to yes. to um, building and nurturing your network, and having come and been introduced to you 
through Fun Lab. So, you know, I've seen you in that capacity. I've also seen you on set. I've seen you, you know, at a film festival. It's it seems to me like this is probably one of the best ways to find a a good tribe as filmmakers because it's so important to find your people. But you you do so much for like bringing new people in, like mm-hmm. Fun Lab. Um, but you have such a robust network. Are you still finding like value in having all these outreach and program uh, programs to find the new talent? Is that like going to be your MO for is the foreseeable future? Or are you like finding that you have your people now and then you have to like focus? Uh, no, it always we, evolves. Yeah. We, we always want to like be meeting new filmmakers and, you know, staying like staying fresh as well as developing these long-term you yeah. know, career paths with the more established filmmakers. But yeah, Fun, Fun Lab is a great example of something where, we we are constantly like meeting new new people, reading new scripts from filmmakers that we already know, um, and really getting to workshop things, getting to see how people like give and receive feedback, which is so important with the creative process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we there's actually been a couple of projects through Fun Lab that we've ended up producing or stepping. Or we run our projects through them before we produce like even things that we've already signed on to will have. Yeah. As just like a, as a really great testing ground to just make the script that much better before. I think we should explain what fun. Yeah. Please explain what fun lab is. I didn't know if you want to go into it because we're so popular it might be inundated. It's one of those great, like we interviewed Rampus Murthal and he was talking about like the under kind of the underground connection and filmmaking, how there are these pockets of, of culture and things happening that people aren't necessarily aware of and yeah. fun lab is like up there yeah high but up there yeah i think it's worth talking about fun lab because not so that people can try to join fun lab but to start their own mm-hmm. because i think that's the most important part is having these communities of people to give and get feedback like even before fun lab a lot of the core people that started fun lab we very unofficially we get together and do readings of each other's screenplays like I have a bunch of recordings of like stuff that I wrote of like cool. a lot of the same people that became the founding members of Fun Lab of all of us just like taking apart and reading it out loud so that we could hear it. And then I don't, how many years ago was Fun Lab started? Did we decide eight, nine years ago? We There was a group of us that realized like in while we were working on these shorts and commercials and all these things that we were losing sight of working on our own projects. Mm-hmm. And we were we were working for other people. And we were like, why don't we just start a group that... Um, holds us accountable to have projects that we love being worked on so that like, we can get together and set a calendar, be like, you're going to present this week, you're going to present this week. And therefore, like like working on a, a job with a client that has a deadline, we'll have a deadline within this structure. And because it was the projects that like were for fun, quote unquote, we ended up calling it Fun Lab, that evolved to something that I think um, is is actually a little bit even better at times. It evolved into a more open community where we now have not just writers and directors, but cinematographers, actors, producers. Um, Production designers, costume designers. Sometimes. Yeah. So it's a group of just creative people giving feedback. And the value more than anything, I think we've we've found is it is a system for teaching people how to give and receive feedback Mm -hmm. both for us as producers to be able to like once a week we're in a system where we're giving feedback to a filmmaker we've we've honed that muscle and it is a muscle it's like exercise like we now i think just in terms like that's not to say our ideas are always the best Mm -hmm. but i feel like we have a very good vernacular for actually giving feedback to a filmmaker that has a higher percentage of just being heard 
not necessarily like they're going to do our notes, but they hear what we're saying about the script. And that's super valuable. And I feel like we're starting to create curate filmmakers that are good at hearing feedback and knowing when to adjust scripts and when to say, okay, you know, that was that person's opinion, but you know, this, and, and so ultimately it's a system for just creating better products. Mm. But, at, but at baseline it is a weekly creative group that we get together and it used to be in person. And then during the pandemic, mm. we switched to zoom and now we're sticking with zoom. Cause now we have people from all over the world yeah. joining in. Wow, that's um, amazing. but, that's so uh, cool. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's something where, you know, each week we focus on a different project and it can be anything from a feature screenplay, a short screenplay, a rough cut of something, a pitch, um, kind of anything that someone's looking to get feedback on. And, uh, we all try to, we'll, we'll read it ahead of time if it's a script or if it's a, you know, a rough cut of a short, we'll like watch it in real time. And then we'll just all kind of discuss it as, you know, as a group and, um, I think it's so valuable for the filmmakers because uh, it's it inevitably even like there are projects that I will think, you know, this one's fully developed, like it's ready to go. And then we'll run it through Fun Lab. And there's so many great ideas that come out of it that just make it that much better. Um, and I think also being able to kind of train and like teach yourself how to get notes, how to figure out how the notes that are consistent with your vision, the notes that aren't consistent you know, with your vision, or you know, figuring out the note behind the note, like that kind of thing, can be so informative for making a project better, but also just for the overall creative process. What's some good advice for our listeners out there for them to receive feedback? Because not everybody has that tool yet. That is a great question. The, re- the receiving feedback muscle? The receiving muscle. feedback. Yeah, how do you strengthen that? Be stoic. <laughs> no, I think it's just realizing there's no bad note. And I know, like, I know there are. But, um, you know, for instance, I was having this conversation yesterday um, about studio executives that we've worked with. And, like, I've, I've worked with studio execs that, like, it seems like their notes on the surface are terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, where you'll watch the movie with them and they'll come out and it seems like they're talking about a movie they saw like two months ago. They'll be like, you know, uh, you know that scene where, uh, what's the character? You know, he's like, he's like the guy and he's doing the thing. And and it's like, we just watched this movie. Like, what do you, <laughs> and then they'll give this like insane note. That's like, but what you have to realize is like, if you, if you're open and you listen to it, I've actually found like this particular instance I'm talking about, like, they actually have a brilliant instinct for something not working. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you like dissect and you go past what they're suggesting you do and don't listen to that, but look at like, why are they feeling that? You'll actually find this like brilliant thing that nobody else has been pointing out. Mm. And like, I do think that exists behind like every note. And so like, it's like, I think the, the number one thing is like, just listen, go a little bit beyond what you want the film to be and try to go to what, people are receiving as the film, which can also inform you of like, if you want the film to be a certain thing, but everybody's receiving it a different way, then you're not succeeding at mm-hmm. the thing you want to be. And you can't just say like, well, they're not getting it. It's like, well, then you're not, you're not presenting it in a way that they're getting it. Yeah. And, and it can't just be like, you'll fix it when you film the movie, you know, um, you have to find a way to rearticulate the idea that you're going for in a way that at least enough people get it that, that, you can feel like it's solid enough on the page to proceed to production. And I think assuming positive intent, which is like a really hard thing to do. And also you have to 
really trust the group that you're with. And, you know, sometimes, you know, with like a studio executive, you don't necessarily like trust them to have like the, your best interest at heart. But I think, you know, at Fun Lab, something that we really try to um, push for is like assuming positive intent. So knowing that no one's trying to give a note just to give a note or to like sound important that like the, we all genuinely want the film to succeed, want the filmmaker to succeed. And so I think when it becomes a positive collaborative environment, then that's when like the real fun can start because that's when all of a sudden you have people that are arguing like aggressively about like, no, I loved that. Like, you, you know, this scene and the other person's like, no, you, you know, you, you need to lose it. And then you're seeing your film, your script, whatever it is, getting this like active feedback and actually engaging an audience. And then you can like bounce ideas off of each other of like, okay, well, so you guys want, want the scene to, you know, stay, you guys want the scene to be cut. Like, let's like, let's brainstorm. And then you end up like just bouncing ideas off of each other and coming up with something even more brilliant. And so that's like when I think Fun Lab is at its best is when it like just all of a sudden, uh, they're just these ideas getting popped out and then other people are like, oh yeah, and if you do this and you can do this, this and this. And it's, and it's you know, it's just kind of riffing and it's fun. And um, and it's, again, it's positive intent. And so like, you don't have to take any of the ideas. Like, like there can be a brilliant idea that you're like, that's a brilliant idea, but it doesn't actually work within the scope of what this needs to be. But just the act of talking it through can be a really... Um, creative endeavor and can un unlock other things you know just like um almost like an informal writer's room in a way right. and like it's that. and it's, uh, it's it's different than like normal writers groups right because there are such a wide variety of creatives in fun lab sessions there like you said there's cinematographers there's actors there are writers there's there's a there's the spectrum of people also the spectrum of experience right this person is very experienced this person is pretty new and doesn't say much but it it I guess in my, my instances, having been in there, I'm like, oh, it primes me or another creative to get feedback from all sorts of perspectives, which if you if you have a, a film out, a lot of different audience members are going to see that. And it is helpful to know like what they're feeling, even if they can't articulate a note in the most like writer or director, like experienced creative way. Yeah. So I think I think it's a real huge benefit to have a, a, a group with such a wide variety of members um, and that also allows people to start collaborating together. So there's yeah. so many projects that have come out of Fun Lab of people being like, hey, I read your script and I really love it. Can I help you produce it? And like, hey, can I like put myself on tape for that role? Like, I really yeah, love yeah. that role. Yeah. And I mean, just in the past year, I think there have been, what, like five projects that mm -hmm. have like, wow. co like come out of Fun Lab that like have gotten produced, that have gotten made. Um, that is just, you know, people meeting each other through Fun Lab and, you know, just really vibing on the same project. And I've heard, uh, candidly, I've not been a part of many writers groups except for what eventually became Fun Lab. But I've heard people who have gone to other writers groups that like there's uh, something about the makeup of Fun Lab that it, there's it's less ego based mm -hmm. and it's less competitive mm -hmm. that I think like with traditional writers groups, there seems to be a tendency that like just People may be approaching it from like how they would write the material yes. or, you know, like just not really respecting that, like the notes are about reinforcing that person's vision as opposed to imposing your vision onto the process, which I think is also like, that's probably our biggest note in terms of giving feedback um, is that like really trying to, to empathize with where the writer's coming from and what their intent for the project is and realizing that's actually the biggest strength of any creative 
is to reinforce their vision for it and to give notes along those lines. Not what you would do with it, not what you think audiences want from it, not what you think you can sell, but to be like, how do we reinforce your voice as strong as possible and the thing you're trying to say with the piece and where we think your intentions are, but we might be getting lost in um, and how you, how to help them get back on track with their with their intentions. I'm, I'm shaking my head emphatically because it's not often that you get a person who's able to give notes in that specific way because they are saying, this is how you should make the script better according to how I make scripts, not right. according to what your story is. And Angel and I both had, like I had my Blade Runner-esque mm-hmm. script mm-hmm. go through the fun lab and you had your thriller. Red lighters. Red yeah, lighters yeah, go yeah, through the yeah. fun lab. And what was so great about the experience is the mindset of everybody involved. They have a mindset of, of caring first and you know that they're caring because they're giving your giving you notes and they are engaged i took this um also they they read your thing and they actually read the thing <laughs> and showed up to talk about it that's like I, hey, yeah, yeah. Hats off. thank you so much for even doing those two things <laughs> I, I took this uh ucb class and they said the moment that you get people asking you questions about something means that they're they're engaged and the minute that they're they're riffing off of it and suggesting things means like you have something good Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what Fun Lab offers. Yeah, this has turned into a huge advert for Fun Lab. <laughs> <laughs> but go back to working within the industry, like I think that's one of the biggest challenges about the notes process in the industry is that um, the way it is set up, it is difficult for people to give notes along those lines, mm-hmm. and it's probably probably because of two reasons. One is the idea of development and what it's become is a it's a position, it's a job, and therefore. Ultimately, the, their work has to be about protecting their job. And so like they have to take that into account when giving feedback, which positions it in a way where um, there's a pressure to have to perform, that, that the feedback has to be good because if the film doesn't do well, they could be blamed and lose their job. Yeah. And so that they have to give feedback as part of their job. Like they like when your job is to develop something, if something comes in that's good and you're like, well, that's good. I don't need to do anything. People start to be like, well, why do we have this person on staff? Yeah. You know, so like it inevitably sets up this terrible cycle where people have to give notes as part of a job where the truth of it is, is that like, and I think this is the second part is that like, nobody knows if a film's going to work. Like, you know, Bill Goldman, the writer, his famous quote was like, nobody knows nothing. And it's true. Like, you can have a really great project and the marketplace could just be timed incorrectly for that project. You can fail, or you can have a really bad film that timed in the right marketplace can do well. Like we, we have a very volatile industry that we work in where like anybody who tells you they know if a film is going to succeed based on the elements that make up that film is, is a liar. There's just, there's really no way to know it. And, but we're in this system where people are judged on their successes and failures. Mm-hmm. And so th- you're setting yourself up for a system where people have to check boxes in order to not get fired when something doesn't succeed. And like, that's what I always say when we talk to younger filmmakers about what the pitch process is, is that like, when you are pitching an executive, the only conversation you're having is when my film doesn't succeed, which it likely won't because that's the majority of films, no matter how well packaged they are, no matter how well made, no matter how well written, when my film doesn't succeed, here's why you will not get fired. And you are running through that list and that's the pitch. What a great frame up. 
Like that, that's, that's really the conversation you're having. This is, this is why I love you guys. And this is also the reason why this is called vanishing angle. Do you want to, <laughs> do you want to mention what that means? Oh, should I, I'm getting pointed at like, so uh, it's a sailing term. I founded the company with a, a fellow sailor and we looked at sailing terms and the vanishing angle is so, um, it's, it's hard to like describe without being able to use my hands to do the motion. But <laughs> when you are sailing and you, and the wind is filling your sails, it tips your boat op- over and in doing so it creates less drag in the water. So you have a, the ability to go faster. So you're getting a lot of wind. It's filling the right amount of your sails. You have less drag on the ocean. You're going very fast, but there's a point where your boat's going to tip over because the weight of your mast is too heavy. That point is called the vanishing angle. And so like the theory of it is it's the um, highest amount of risk with the most amount of reward. And that's sort of the fastest. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like that perfect kind of line of (laughs) (laughs) riding the line. Um, You describing the, the development process in in general, right. Is, is from your perspective is working independently. Does that give you the benefit to give notes in a more holistic way and to support and to nurture filmmakers versus someone who's working within the studio system? Or is that not a clear distinction that, or not a fair distinction to make comparing the studio to independent side of things. I think that there are, there are some development execs that I think are just absolutely brilliant and like, and kind of share the same philosophy of like how they give notes and how they give feedback. Um, So I don't think it's necessarily like a studio versus indie. I think it's just like a mindset, but I, but I do think that, Within Vanishing Angle, we have the freedom to be like, we like we love this script. Let's like let's just make it, you know, let's go. Um, we don't there doesn't need to be a two year development process where we really feel like we got our hands dirty with it and like now it's ready. You know, like it's if it's ready to go, it's ready to go and we'll and we'll make it right away if we can, you know. So I think there's there, there's less financial pressure, I guess, because of our independent status, which some studio execs might not be given that kind of freedom, but I do think that there are um, development execs at studios that that do share the same philosophy and figure out how to achieve it within the system that they're in. Cool. I like that. Um, what's on this list? What would you include on that checklist you mentioned? Oh, I These... mean, it's on the checklist of why you won't get fired. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's unfortunately things that make the film feel low risk. It's like, you know, on the base level, it's like it, we have this actor attached and this actor has performed well within this genre that the film's presented in. You know, we have this director attached and here's the things that the director has previously done and why they're right for this project. Here's the subject matter and the type of audience that it appeals to and other comps, you know, that appeal within the same thing. So like... The unfortunate answer to that is like everything that makes your film really low risk and kind of like everything else that exists out there prior to. It's all based on like um, things in the past and not things to come. Mm. And I think that's the most challenging thing about navigating the marketplace is like you're constantly pitching on past performance in a marketplace that's always evolving that the past performance doesn't matter. But I will say that as part of that pitch, so, you know, you're trying to just say, this is why you won't get fired. But I think the thing that is the, there's, there's tons of films like that, that don't necessarily intrigue someone that's receiving the pitch to be like, we, like we should make this. And so I think it actually is the pair of these two things of this is something that is so cool or so personal or so, you know, undeniable just in terms of story where 
the executive or whoever's receiving the pitch gets excited about it, like genuinely. And oftentimes I have found that it's like, if, if it's somehow connected to that person that's pitching personally, and maybe it's not like a personal story of theirs, but they're just so passionate and excited about this one topic or, you know, whatever it is that it's contagious and it gives them that, that enthusiasm. And then the second part is, and here's why you won't get fired if it doesn't do well. So it's almost like, it's like the combination of those. Cause there's, there's tons of films that, you know, check these boxes that might still get greenlit. But, um, but I think like the thing that makes your stand out is having that, that special something that is like, why this has to be you, why this has to be the story. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, that's, that's the, the reason why you won't get fired is the backup that gives them solid ground to then bring it to their boss. Because that's also the thing is that you're oftentimes pitching to someone who isn't necessarily the decision maker. So you're pitching to them and giving them ammo to then pitch to their boss. And so giving them all of that ammo that they can easily remember that they can then go and convince their boss that they won't get fired. You know, it's it's kind of this like a little bit of a domino effect. Well, and like to your point, the sort of greatest successes come from those stories that you inspire someone to do it despite the idea of getting fired. Mm-hmm. Like that's actually, if you want to transcend what I've just said, like the actual thing you're really trying to do is, is motivate that. Like on a base level, you're trying to say you're not going to get fired. But like the most brilliant version is to be like, hey, guess what? This you make a fire to this, you but might. it's worth it. Right? <laughs> and that's, that's like, that's, if you can do that version, like that's the one to do. Have because you done like, that version? Have you pitched I mean, someone and, and le- le- leaned into that? I feel like that's only been done a handful of times in the history of film. Like that's. Yeah. But like, it's like, you know, it's, but those are the greatest success stories, right? It's like, that's how Star Wars got made. That's how Lord of the Rings got made. Like those are like. Those are the basic success stories are the ones that like everybody's like, this, this does not make sense on paper. Yeah. We should not do this, but there's something about this person telling this story in this scenario that like we're in for it and we're going to, we're going to help them figure it out. And like a lot of that could be a sort of like hindsight is 2020 kind Mm -hmm. of thing. But like, uh, but it seems like those are the, those are the greatest success stories when you can get people on board that way. And so I think like there's a there's a little bit of pitching you have to go in with some of that mentality. Like I think you should you should be prepared for the here's why you're not gonna get fired. But I think you should also go in with a little bit of the swagger to like. But if you do, wouldn't it have been great to go out on this one? Like, well, because they're because they're almost a little contradictory, right? So it's 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 the thing that gets them super excited about something that is the uniqueness of it, the specialness mm-hmm. of it. But then the thing that makes you not get fired are all the things that make it like more generic. It's, and so it's like the old saying, like, give me the same thing, only different. Yeah, right. exactly, <laughs> right? exactly. But it is it is this like this this tough thing of you know. A lot of these people are getting pitched all day long. You know, they hear pitches all day long. You know, we get sent scripts all the time, like multiple scripts a day, just cold emails. And so it's like, what, what makes yours stand out from the masses, but also feel like it could sell to the masses? (laughs) (laughs) So you're looking for a hook and audience appeal. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I mean, so much I think people forget the pitches about is the, the, personal connection like you know we actually even talk about this and it's a whole other podcast but in terms of like pitching financiers Mm -hmm. uh on like an equity level 
Um, but I do think like on any level, you know, there's no, there's, there's, it's very rare. You're going to have a unique idea, right? It, it's pretty rare. What you're really pitching is the execution of that idea. And, and what you're pitching based on that is your ability to execute that mm-hmm. execution. Um, and so you're really pitching you, you know, you're going in saying like, like we, like it's, here's an idea Here's why it works, but here's how we're going to execute it. Here's the take on that idea. And here's why I'm the right person to do that take, whether I'm the writer or director or producer, whoever it is. And then, but to set that up, they need to get to know you a little bit. And so like what we always talk about with pitches is like, if you can go in and in that sort of chit chatty, get to know you stage, drop an anecdote that feels completely unconnected to the film you're pitching. But then by the time you get to the pitch of the film, it becomes like so clear that you're like the person to tell this story. Like the great example I always talk about is um, we work with this director, Sean Mullen, um, and we were working on this film, Amir and Sam. Now, Sean was a West Point graduate and he was stationed in New York when 9-11 happened. And he was put in charge of the troops at Ground Zero while they were basically going through the rubble and, and bringing bodies out. And, and Sean had to sort of like live through that during the day. And the way he got out of it at night was cathartically to go uh, work doing stand-up in small clubs around Wall Street. And he was meeting these Wall Street guys and all these things. So when Sean would talk to investors about Amir and Sam, like he would start with his background on all that and do all these things. And then he'd be like, they'd be like, so what's Amir and Sam about? And he's like, well, it's about a vet who's just returned home from the war. And um, his uh, cousin gives him a job working on Wall Street because nobody else will hire him. And at night he's trying to do stand up and he uh, runs into his old translator from Iraq and falls in love with his, do- his niece, who's an illegal Iraqi immigrant. And it's like that story. And like now knowing Sean's context for what he went through, you're like, well, he's the only person who could tell this yeah. story. And so when he gets into like, it's about a war vet in love with an illegal Iraqi immigrant, you're like, well, that's a compelling story. We want to see that. And who best to tell it? Well, of course, this guy, mm-hmm. you know, like, and that's the sort of like magic trick of it um, when pitching. Was that the same example that you thought I was going to tell? You pointed at me like, you know, <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah, that's um, I. I I fielded a tweet a couple of weeks ago about a writer saying, uh, why has the question, why you for this story become so ubiquitous? Can't we just have a good idea? And I responded with, yeah, great ideas are great, but have you never heard someone's personal hook into a story yeah. and it elevated what was a great idea? It, the, the, the possibility to make a great story better, there's no ceiling to that. Right. Right. So yeah. this is like a very sophisticated way of like selling you know, a film or your involvement in a film being like, well, I'm the only person who can do this and here's why in like a super ninja sneaky way. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's also, I think subconsciously, I think there's also an assurance there of, oh, this person like won't fuck up this story. You know, Mm -hmm. like the, like this person will do whatever they can Mm -hmm. to make sure that this film succeeds because, because it's a personal connection. And so I think, I think there's like a subconscious thing of like, oh, you know, we don't have to worry about this as much because this isn't just a job for them. This is something more. Um, And I would say, you know, as well to that person's question is that it didn't used to be this way, right? Right. You could just like come up with like a good idea and just pitch it and then get, you know, a bunch of money to write it. Mm -hmm. And that was what Hollywood used to be. But that was when the pool of writers and directors was so much smaller, Mm -hmm. like astronomically smaller and so i think 
uh, now when there are so many different people mm-hmm. pitching and there's so and many pipelines to get these stories to people to hear the pitches exactly that that it really is the like the thing of how do you differentiate yourself and it's you know again how do you kind of stand out from the noise and I think that like you know the personal connection is like one of the few things that you can like really do to to do that and again that that doesn't mean that you can't pitch a story set in 2300 you know about something that like you've never experienced before but you know is there something about that main character that you really connect with that you know like you know is he or she going through something that like you went through on on a personal level or you know there's like it doesn't mean that it has to be your autobiography it, sure, but, yeah. but it but it uh but it like figuring out whatever that personal connection is yeah. can really help and i think the flip side of that to remember and it's really tough like uh, you we all want our stuff to get made mm-hmm. and so there's an air of desperateness to that of like just buy my thing please somebody just no buy desperation <laughs> no it doesn't exist but i think the thing to remember is that like every pitch is also receiving from the person you're pitching, like, are they the right person to be your partner in making this? Because like, I think so many of the negative stories that come out of Hollywood are people who like, because, because of circumstances go with the wrong partner to make their project and they never align on it creatively. Yes. And so I think there's something about like, when you go into that room and you're telling your personal anecdote, it's like, you want to draw personal anecdotes from them to make sure you guys have the same like touchstones to make the same film. Mm. And like, I think that's why we often succeed in, in pitching as producers is because like, it's very low stakes for us. Like we, we feel a lot of confidence in like when we get on board a project that we will eventually get made, it might take years, but like, it's pretty rare that we board a project that doesn't at some point come together, hell or high water. So like when we're in these pitch meetings, it's like there are a lot of people that we like would love to be doing it with, but we are also checking to be like, are they the right ones to do it with us? Like, is it going to be a project that yields the film that we're trying to make? Or is it going to be constantly like they're looking for a, you know, they're looking for more of a horror film and we're pitching them a thriller and they're going to keep trying to make it a horror and we don't really want this to be a horror. Like... And then Are it's we, a big mismatch and then you yeah, have like production and then nobody's problems. happy. Yeah. Like, and then you don't, and then you can't do more things with them because you've had a terrible experience doing this thing with them. And like, so we really, like, we are conscious of that and there's a freedom to it of like, you know, if this doesn't work out on this, like we almost go in every pitch and be like, if it doesn't work out on this one, I at least want to get to know you to know which one I can bring back to you that it will work out on, you know, like, and I think that. Obviously, you can feel like, oh, if you go in that way, you're never going to get that one thing sold. But we don't find that. We just find the right. It's like matchmaking, you know. It's a great yeah. way to approach it. Well, think- it's it's like the audition process, you know. Like uh, I I used to be told when I was back when I was dancing of like you're not going in for this audition, you're going in for the next one, right? Sure, you're like yeah. just like establishing the like the relationship so that and like I think there's a freedom with that. Uh, that one makes it a lot less stressful and can make it a more fun experience to actually pitch, which like pitching can be so scary or daunting, but like it can actually be a really fun experience if you go in just being like, hey, I just want to get to know this person and see like what their deal is and like maybe their deal aligns with my deal and like there can be something that we can align on. But like there's there's less pressure um, for that, you know, 
perfect alignment with, with this one project, with this one meeting and more of like, Hey, if we, if we become friends, then like, let's just continue staying in touch. And then we'll so when, the right thing. So when you're pitching to Natalie, um, shots are involved. <laughs> <laughs> well, not right now. Not, not right now. <laughs> what you're saying is not dissimilar to what uh, some of the best acting advice I've heard about auditioning is that you 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 have no control over whether you get the job or not unless mm-hmm. you're the producer and you can hire yourself. So you have to go in with making them your fan. If I do great work and I nail this and I do what's on the page and you know am a pleasant human being and they're a fan of mine. Casting directors, they, they will remember. And one of the best stories I have about this is a gentleman on, I believe it's Station 19, a guy named Jay Hayden. He, um, When he tested for this network show, he's been on for several years now, he had the audition, had the callback, and then the network test, right? And the casting director, who he'd been going in for for years at this point, it never said more than, thanks, Jay, on all of his auditions. You know, auditioned for this casting director 30 times over years. Casting director stood up in front of all the executives and said, Jay has come into my casting office for the last several years and nailed every audition. He has been a professional. He is the only choice for this character. And all the network executives are like, oh, okay, do your thing, Jay. He had never heard more than two words from this woman except for thank you, Jay. He had been doing a professional job the entire time making her his fan. And now he's on a show, a network show, you know, and he's got a great career and he's a lovely guy and a great actor. So it's very deserved, but it's the same thing. It's, you know, like, how do I go in? do my job, make them a fan, and then go about the rest of my day. And you never know like who who is following you in your in, in your career. Yeah, like yeah, we yeah. we we see that with festivals too. Um like uh, uh for for Greener Grass, the feature film, the directors Jocelyn and Dawn, um, they had submitted every single one of their three shorts to Sundance and gotten a rejection. And so when we like sim- a form letter rejection too, like not even oh, a, like, not wow. like a personal thing. Yeah. And, and so when it came to the feature, we were still like, well, we're still going to submit to Sundance because you know, why not? And, uh, and when they called to say, Hey, we like, we love this feature. We, we want to play it at Sundance. They said, we have been following your guys' career for the past several years. We've loved your shorts. We've argued over them. Like, we really wanted to program them. We just couldn't figure out the best place for them. But now we're so excited to be able to feature your feature, you know, in, in you know, at, at the next year's festival. And so you, you just don't know who is following your stuff. And so I would also say um, not, like, if if a pitch doesn't go well or, you know, they don't respond to something, don't stop bringing that person projects or material or like just continuing to, you know, maintain the relationship because you never know when like the right thing will like come together. Um, Cause mandates change. Like there's two things that I, like mandates change at companies all the time. Mm-hmm. Like they're constantly shifting. Like, you know, whether it's the marketplace has shifted or they've been bought by another corporation or whatever it is. And then also people change companies all the time. So like something they couldn't get through at one company, they may go to another company like, oh, you know what? What this company's looking for? I read this thing, you know, a couple, you know, a couple months ago that would actually be perfect here. Um, which is another reason to keep up with people and remind them of things. You know, it's like knowing when people move companies and stuff. Like there is a there is a there's a social aspect to all of it that's important that like, I think there's this like dirty word of like networking in Mm -hmm. LA. I think think people are like, it's like who, you know, and like, again, like we don't look at it that way because we look at it as like, we're also auditioning people we want to make the film with. Like we look at it more of like, 
how do we make as many friends as possible that are like genuine friends that we have over to our house for dinner or parties or whatever it is. And then amongst that, how do we find ways to work with our friends, whether they are crew members or executives or whatever it is. And so like it becomes these very easy conversations to call up somebody at a, a, a studio to be like, Hey, like great hanging out with you last week. Oh, you know, I have this new script across my desk. Is it the type of thing you guys are looking for? Oh, great. I'll send it over, you know, like, and, and have those conversations that way. But I think, I think the important thing with that is that it actually needs to be genuine. Like, I think, I think there is this, this sense and I've, and I've, and I've had meetings with, with young filmmakers sometimes where it's like very clear. They're like, okay, so I need to become friends with you. So then I can get my, my film made by you. And it's this like very, it feels like this very transactional thing, yeah. which like is just very icky, you yeah, know? Yeah. And I think, um, uh, being approaching things as like, what, like, how can I help you? Like how, like, or I, I just think you're cool. Like, I just want to kind of spend time with you and then seeing if something aligns and not having any pressure on it too. Like there's some executives that like that we're friends with that like, you know, nothing has really come up that like really worked with like what they were looking for, but like, but we just enjoy hanging out with them. And so it's like, let's just hang out, you know, and there's no, there's no pressure to it. And so, um, I do think like a genuine desire to hang out with people and to be friends. And like, and if you don't vibe with someone, then like you're probably not going to align on the right project. And so also don't try to force it. You yeah, know, you're don't not be like work with that person. Yeah, yeah. You know, like there might be a studio that you really want to work with, but like it's if if you genuinely are not vibing with them as a person, then like like let 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 it go and and yeah. and find someone that you do vibe with and actually genuinely want to spend time with because that's, I think the joy of what we get to do is that we get to make movies with our friends. And that's not just with like the filmmakers and the like crew members. Um, although that's like the, like the main people that we hang out with, but also the, the distributors that we work with and the financiers that we work with and the executives that, you know, that we pitch to is it's, we, we genuinely like love the people that we work with and, and want to just hang out with them. And so, uh, that's like the joy of actually getting to do that is that if you are genuinely just wanting to get to know someone, then you also get to make movies with people that you love, which is the coolest thing. It's, it's like outside of this industry and I, I haven't been involved in any other industry, so I don't know what it's like in those, but it, it seems like inside this industry, that's, that's how it rolls. Like you, you're friendly, you, you have friends and then they're also like compatriots. You're also yeah. in this together. So then it's an easy mm -hmm. quote unquote networking situation where it's, it's just like easy and casual, but, well, then, but outside of this industry looking in, it must seem like, Oh, there's networking. Mm -hmm. And then there's like what I normally do with my real friends. And it's like, those are not separate in what we do here. It's, there's a social aspect to what we're doing. I think the difference. Right? And so it's just a little yeah. bit of a different lens to see it through. So yeah. when you're in it and it's working well for you, are like, oh, these are just my friends. And yeah. I happen to be a distributor and a development executive and a writer. So of course we're going to work together. Yeah. You know? I think the difference is when you approach it with that mentality, it's instead of going into battle, you're going to the playground. Yeah, right. exactly. Which, exactly. What do you want really? Yeah. And it makes it so, like such a more pleasant experience. Yeah. It makes it so much less stressful. Like, yeah. Like the, the times when I've like been super stressed is when it's when it's like, oh, we're like not in alignment. And this is like, 
like you have different things that you're trying to get out of this and I have different things. And so it's just, it's like, oftentimes it, those projects aren't, aren't worth it. You know, like it's, it's actually better just to be like, okay, let's wait for the right thing to. I also think like we're in a better position now, like in a post Harvey Weinstein world where like, um, I do think there's like an old guard where aggression was the thing Mm -hmm. where like there was this like loudest voice in the room is the right voice. And I do, I do feel like we're moving away from that as an industry. I hope so. Um, Both from like being forced away from that by things like the me too movement, but also like as people move into these different environments, especially post pandemic, they realize like a quality of life is better and you're mm-hmm. getting better creative work. Mm-hmm. I think it's like the real thing that people are seeing is that like when you don't have the like yellers and like the people that like believe creativity breeds from contempt, like those environments that feel like very 90s. Like I think we're now in this place where like it actually is about working together and collaborating and we're seeing more execs that operate that way and more studios that are rewarding that experience. Well, I think it, you know, that also just all comes down to respect, you know, where it's like, oh, I respect you as a person and want you to be happy and successful just as I want myself to be happy and successful. And I think that that respect is something that is really, really important to us to um, foster on set. But it's also, I think, um, something that's so important and it feels like is it is a movement to have our whole industry be like pushing towards that. Yeah. There is, I you know, I want to, I do want to shift the gear a li- in the conversation a little bit because I do think it is important to remember there are, we are a business, you know, it, it, it is the film business and as much as it's an art form and as much as you can get better collaborative work talking along the ways we are, like, I think there's an important to remember in pitching that you are, there's a product being created and you have to sell that product to an audience and the size of that audience is tied to the financial risk of that product as in any other business. And we largely work in, you know, and operate in the biggest capitalist society in the world. And so there are some rules for that playground and you can't abandon those rules despite all the wonderful principles we're talking about. Um, And so you, like, they do need to be, taken into account. And at Vanish Angle, we've sort of organically worked our way into understanding that. Like part of it was um, distributing our own films. You know, we, we started self-distribution with a film called Too Late. Um, we had a lot of success with a film called Thunder Road. And to this day, we still distribute our films. And I think that really helped us have an aspect of understanding of um, how to bring your product to an audience and have them engage with it. Um, and then I think as a result of distributing our own films, we ended up creating our own marketing division to create marketing assets that was first for our films. And then Netflix hired us to do their in-app trailers. And then now we work with various studios, sometimes on our films, like we cut the trailer for Spoonful of Sugar. Which is an amazing trailer, actually. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but I think that like, I think as much as you want your thing to be unique and different in the marketplace and all the values that I think we all hold in our center as creatives. It is really helpful to know what the log line for your film is that attracts an audience. It's really helpful to know what the elements that are going to be on your poster are that Mm -hmm. attract an audience that like 
what's going to look right on a thumbnail for this film on Netflix, you know, like really understanding the core elements of your film. Like you asked about the boxes that you check, Mm -hmm. like they might not even, you might not have to even change your story at all to check those boxes. But if you understand those aspects of it, like what is the one sentence pitch that makes this film seem dramatically compelling that isn't convoluted and complicated that appeals to the right size audience for the financial risk of your film. Like all of those things, again, they can feel like dirty things that you like, don't want to think about as the creative, like that's somebody else's problem. Like my problem is just to think about how good the script can be. But I do think if you can wrap your head around that, you know, it's, it's like anything. Like if you're going to sit down and ask your friend to listen to a story that, that you, of something that happened to you last week, like you want to set that story up in a way that your friend wants to sit there and listen to you talk for 20 minutes, you know, like one would hope. Yeah. <laughs> well, we one all have hope. that friend who doesn't know how to do that. <laughs> but, but you're raising a but great exactly. point because we're doing it for the audience. Like we are doing it as much for ourselves as creators. Mm-hmm. We're doing it for an audience right. to have their experience, which is, you know, you're just extrapolating what's the business case right. for the audience experience, which yeah, probably like rubs pe- some people the wrong way, but I think if you think about it, it is a new, fun, exciting challenge to be yeah. like, oh, how do I like conceptualize all these other bits and pieces around my story to make sure the executive or the audience is like tantalized by it? Yeah. What is the thumbnail? Like, what is the poster? Like, how do I like sell, make all these assets, like you're saying, and yeah. make it like, like pithy and like fun and like engaging? Yeah, I have a, a director friend of mine, Josh, Josh Stolberg, who will not make a film until he can see the poster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's that important. Yeah. What are you putting out to the audience? Yeah. How are they engaging? Yeah. And the audience, like, I I really do believe what we do is important. Mm-hmm. Like Storytelling? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's, it's one it's, of the core human things. It is. It is. Like, yeah. art is. I mean, I get, like, art, we don't know why we're here. You know, like, we can all, we can have a whole other podcast on why sure, we're yeah. here. But so much of what we're here is understanding it. Mm-hmm. And, and sharing experiences and learning from experiences, learning from mm-hmm. past, like trying to predict future, trying to connect with each other. And art is like the number one way to do that. And what I love about film is it's like the, it it's so many art forms melded into one. You know, it's like, it is literary, it is musical, it is visual, it is all these things in a singular art form that that you can't compete with in any other art form. That, that to me, it's not about better or worse. it's it's like it's it's important and what we matter but none of that matters if you don't have an audience there's no importance to it if nobody sees it yeah and so if you want to talk about not thinking about those things because you're trying to focus on telling the best story you can it's like well then what's it for mm-hmm. like you might as well just put your script on a shelf and never show it to anybody. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not thinking about how to affect the most amount of people with your story, both in how you write it and the accessibility of what you're saying, but also how to reach those people, then like you're, you are missing the entire point, you know, like it doesn't necessarily have to be the most amount of people, but like a specific audience that you're aiming towards. Like, right. so it can be like a niche audience that you're like this, like this audience is craving this type of content that mm-hmm. I can give them. Yeah. But it's still so you know is not necessarily quantity, but it, it it is like having a specific audience in mind. And even some of the the you know the most important fine art pieces that the world knows were commissioned for 
an observer, you know, like someone hired someone to paint the Mona Lisa, someone hired like them to like the, the artists weren't yeah. out in the desert doing this for That's no right. one to see or to consume. Right. Yeah. Like, the Medici so family like funded. Everything. Yeah. The, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so they were the audience. And then we, as the rest of society for eons have the benefit of yeah. that art existing. Same with poetry, you know, like, I, I don't know, does, do poets, do they, do they create for anybody or do they just so, sit under a tree and write and weep? I mean, when I was going through my MFA program for poetry, we were told to think about your audience. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. So even with poetry. Yeah. Yeah. But I think this goes back to the pitch of like, you know, what we were saying is that you're either pitching, you know, here's why you're not going to get fired, but if yeah. you do, here's why it's worth it. Like, yeah. this is the conversation we're having of saying like, like, here's the reasons you're not going to get fired. And like, and if you do, it'll be worth it because we're saying something important. And like, mm-hmm. here's why you're not going to get fired because I know the audience for this. And I know, I know what the poster looks like. I know the log line. I know how to appeal to this niche group of people. But in the event the marketplace doesn't work for that and, you know, the film comes out at the wrong time or the actor has a meltdown or whatever it is, here's why it still matters because the people who do see it they're going to feel this thing and I feel this thing and you feel this thing and let's go make a lot of other people feel this thing. Yeah. You know, and it's like, and it's both those conversations at once and, and they really don't conflict. Like they, they do on some level, but at the same time, like you, there is a way to coalesce them into the same conversation. And like that, that is the pitch, you know? So I was listening, unless you had something off that, I was listening to a YouTube um, interview with you about three years ago and I took a I took a page out of the Natalie Metzger handbook and I emailed every single film commission in France because I want to film over there. And I heard back from one and hopefully something happens and we'll talk about it later. But you on the interview loved this company. And so you emailed the head of marketing and the head of marketing said no. And so then you sat and you guessed. Why don't you tell that story? <laughs> yeah, so I was I was I was raising funds for uh, my first documentary, and I I knew that I had something that would that was appealing to you know it was a documentary about this rare disease. There was this whole rare disease community that I knew which was just like starving for this content, and I knew that there were these companies that specifically we're doing educational, you know, pushes around, you know, this stuff. And so I just like needed to get it in front of the right person. And so, yeah, so I had pitched it to the head of marketing at this one company and they said no. And then, um, I heard the CEO speak and I was just like, he would absolutely be excited about this film. And, uh, so yeah, I just, uh, I guessed at his email, I did different versions of, First name, last name at the company, <laughs> first initial, last name. I've done that. How many and iterations? I, how many emails did you go through? This was like over a decade ago, but I I I think I like tried like maybe it wasn't that many. It was like 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 five or six, but okay. like eventually I didn't get a bounce back. And I just like put it out there and it was like, hey, if this happens, great, you know, if not. And I heard back from him and he was like, This sounds awesome, looping in my head of marketing. <laughs> who then had to be like this sounds exciting. Let's talk more. And then that kind of led. And then once they were on board, it was like very, very easy for me to then go to all these other competing companies to be like, Hey, don't you want to be on board if they're on board? And it became a little bit of a, um, uh, this like, you know, domino effect where we got the, the film finance and I was able to make my first feature documentary and it ended up like being, um, you know, very, like very, very successful. Uh, and it's, you know, we made it, 
back in 2015, uh, started filming in like, like 2014, but it came out in 2015. So it was eight years ago and they just did another screening of it. Um, just like a couple weeks ago, uh, at, on Capitol Hill for oh. this, like, you know, the stuff. So like, it's still getting screened. What's it, what's it called around it the world? It's called special blood, special blood. Um, but so like, it's continuing to have a life and it's just, it's so, it, it, but yeah, I, I just had to guess, guess that in someone's email. <laughs> what, a, what a great success story to kind yeah. of wrap things up. Um, was there anything else you wanted to share before we, we, we no, sign off for the day? Thank you guys for having us. No, yeah. you've been fantastic. And again, yeah. it's, it's good to see you after so long and, Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, best of luck with uh, the little one, and thank with you. all the projects coming out this year. Really, that's you got a busy year ahead of you. Yeah, keep an eye out for In Ain't Over on May twelfth in yeah. theaters, and uh, yeah, we'll have more news about a couple of shorts coming up soon. Oh, good. Cool. All right. We'll have to have you on again. All yeah. right. Thank you, guys. <laughs> We're uh, from Pasadena, I guess. Cheers from Pasadena, right? Cheers from Pasadena. <laughs> I'd like to extend a personal thank you to Matt and Natalie from Vanishing Angle again. Uh, we had to jump off the chat a little quickly because they were running late for a, a meeting. But again, I want to say thank you for their time. Um, I know I really enjoyed it. I know Leah did as well. And make sure to check out our premium episodes. If you're not listening, you can just head over to pitch.supportingcast.fm. We have some great uh, scripts this week with some great writers and some fun pitches. And join us next time for our next episode. Uh, I'm not sure what we're talking about, but I think it's going to be a good one. If you're on the fence about subscribing, know that a portion of all subscription fees go toward the nonprofit Young Storytellers, raising voices one story at a time. <laughs>